You're listening to Saturday Night and Sunday Morning, the gospel roots of rock and soul. I'm Cece Winans. Thomas Dorsey, infusing sanctified music with the blues. Sam Cooke, milking his heavenly sex appeal to attract wide audiences. Sister Rosetta Tharp, elevating her divine voice to stadium crowds in the United States and beyond. From its origins, gospel music has reflected sacred and secular culture, tradition, and constant change. It does change because life changes, culture changes. So you can't expect the music to stay the same. Louisiana State music scholar Joyce Jackson. So it changes with the aspects of life that change. It's very dynamic. By the 1960s, gospel music had established a foothold in the American mainstream. Nearly five million African Americans had left the South since the beginning of the 20th century. They fled the terror and tedium of the Jim Crow South to establish new lives and communities across the country. Soul, R&B, and rock and roll, all of which borrowed their musical gestures and personnel from the gospel world, were selling out auditoriums and dominating the radio waves. The passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 promised a freer, equitable society, a society that had seemed impossible to many just a generation before. But the realities of persistent institutional discrimination and ongoing wars in Southeast Asia soiled that dream. These realities also produce a counterculture movement across America. Gospel music was ripe for a big new moment. Well, it happened because I feel it was time to happen, uh, especially with the situation of the world today, problems. This is gospel composer Edwin Hawkins in a 1969 interview. Uh, they don't go to church, and uh, especially our youth. And I feel with young people such as our group, uh, we can show them that God yet lives. And uh, instead of us trying to take the gospel to them, maybe by preaching to them, take it to them in song maybe, in, uh, with contemporary sounds, new beats, new rhythms, and... Uh, something they can understand, something they can feel and express themselves in. And now, the Edwin Hawkins Singers, number three from the survey, doing their thing all over the 50. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, yes. Oh, happy day. First time I heard happy day was... I'm coming home from a club. Record producer and songwriter Boo Mitchell, the son of the late, great Willie Mitchell, who produced many of Al Green's hits. It's like five in the morning and this song comes on and it just freaks me out completely. Like, you know, I'm zoned all the way. I've never heard anything. This is as close to heaven is anything I've ever heard. I'm like, am I dead? Am I, you know, it's foggy and stuff. I was like, I think I'm still alive, but this is, you know, it, I don't know, I, I'd never heard it. Sing your song, Dorothy Morrison. Someone told me that Edwin sent for me and Edwin told them 
tell Dot to come because I want her to be in this choir because I know she can sing. She's from the family called the Combs family. In the San Francisco Bay Area, three families dominated the gospel scene at the time. The Hawkins, Sly and the Family Stone, and the Combs. Dorothy Combs told us Edwin had been scouting her for years. He said, I got this perfect song for you. And I said, oh, you do? What's it called? And he said, it's called Oh Happy Day. And he pulled that. He said, Walter, give me that. Give me that old hymn book. And he, get, he we got the hymn book together. It was written in 18-something. And uh, in it, the original Oh Happy Day goes, Oh happy day, da-na-na, oh happy day, da-na-na, when Jesus washed, da-na-na, my sins away, oh happy day. Again, Joyce Jackson of Louisiana State University. Although everybody thought it was a new song, it was really a different arrangement from an old hymn. It really was like the transitional piece going from traditional gospel to contemporary gospel. And he said, but I want to change it to... Donald Dumpson, scholar and minister of music at Arch Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Part of the gift of Edwin was that he felt called to bring that song forth. It was the music, the sound of that era that carried it through, that made it approachable to the majority community. Dorothy Combs. I put good God in there, and I got that from James Brown where I said, oh, good God. Sometimes I feel so nice, good God. That's James Brown. <laughs> so I was pulling in some of the uh, nightclub stuff when I did Oh Happy Day. So the neck thing didn't frighten me, but we were, we were tipping kind of, you know, lightly because we knew the ladies on the, on the front row in the white, you know, they might uh, roll their eyes at us or they might, you know, say enough of this you know that kind of stuff you young people you know and of course they had been using instruments in the churches and in the choirs before but he had other things being used i think they even used a synthesizer and it was like everything goes now in in, in our home i was exposed to all this kind of music edwin hawkins in a 2012 interview you know, so i heard everything growing up my aunt she listened to Pop music, Perry Como, Nat King Cole, and all those people. The melody lingers on. You and the song are gone. So we heard all kinds of music, including gospel, which happened to be our favorite. When I it was time for me to start to rearrange and create, I was hearing these different harmonies from these different kinds, different genres of music. There developed the sound of Edwin Hawkins. And there was a young man that was uh, that worked in a warehouse where the records were being distributed from. And he happened to play uh, the album and played the tune Happy Day, took it to a friend of his that was an underground rock DJ in San Francisco. And that's where the song Oh Happy Day hit first. Again, Dorothy Combs. 
So he called in all of his other disc jockey friends and had them to come to his wherever he was in San Francisco and they listened to Oh Happy Day. It was in the hippie days. So everybody kind of went on and got, you know, got stoned or got whatever you're going to do. And everybody brought pillows and they were lying around on the floor. He explained this to me. He told me this. And I was like, what? And he said, when I played that song, after it was over, everybody was like, wow, all of these disc jockeys. So they all got went back to their radio stations and start pushing the pushing the song. And so the song started playing every hour on the hour. Oh, happy day. And people were calling me and saying, Dot, I heard your song. I heard, heard you singing. And I was like, no, you didn't. And then before I could finish, I'm hearing it myself. And oh, my God. Kind of like, oh, that's nice, you know. But at that time, it, it makes you kind of um, bounce your neck, bop your neck, you know, kind of get with the groove type of thing. And that was forbidden in the church. You're kind of on the line of being a sinner. The age-old story haunted Edwin Hawkins. Gospel recording artist Richard Smallwood told us how he studied Oh Happy Day with his Howard University classmate, Donnie Hathaway. We went downtown and brought the record and took it up to the uh, Howard Music Library and put on the earphones and listened to it over and over. And the imaginative arrangements that Edwin had come up with, that just, you just didn't hear that in the church. And even though, you know, Donnie and I discussed it in the practice room, you, you did not hear it at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings in the church. You just did not. And to see people actually dancing to the music, not the sacred dance, but doing the secular dances to music. Again, Joyce Jackson. When you see dancing in the church, you know, it's like individual dances, and, you know, you're, you're having the spirit, or choirs are swaying, and, and this is one of the aesthetics of the music. So it wasn't that it was so odd that these things had never happened before. But the main thing was the fact that it was going out to a wider audience. You know, and some people in the black community really didn't like that. You know, they really ostracized Edwin Hawkins and his group for doing that. Please welcome Edwin Hawkins. Here's Edwin Hawkins with gospel recording artist Erica Campbell on TV in 2012. A lot of criticism from the church, first of all. We are raised in... Uh, Grand Old Church of God in Christ. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> and uh, had very, very, very strict rules about everything. 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 We were pretty okay until we started to do the music that was a little different from what they were used to hearing. Mm-hmm. Chord changes that they, we, we sang gospel, but it was not in the church. So, mm-hmm. well, I said, we do enough coming to church, testifying to each other. Yeah. You know, I'm saved and sanctified. Who are you telling you know, somebody each other, somebody that already knows Absolutely. Jesus Christ. What about those that don't know him? Yeah. And that what you taught us to do. So um, we had to re- reevaluate and um, talk about motives yeah. and all that, why we're doing what we're doing. 
Richard Smallwood recalled for us the personal toll of this criticism on the Hawkins family. I remember Edwin's uh, brother, Daniel, who is an, another amazing musician who played for Edwin for years and played for the Hawkins family for years, said he didn't want anything else to do with church because he was so hurt by what, you know, these traditional so-called, quote, saints, unquote, had said about them. And these were just young people who were trying to take their music to young people. Whether the church liked it or not, Joyce Jackson told us, this worldly gospel sound inspired and ushered in a new generation. But, I mean, it made them famous, too. No, a lot of people didn't know about Edwin Hawkins and the Hawkins singers except within the black community. But when that piece went out um, to the majority audience, you know, they became well-known, and the numbers that it sold was just astronomical. Richard Smallwood maintains this success accomplished what the Bible asked of its followers. It says go out there to the clubs, go out there into, you know, other places where it's not heard, where it's not taken, and sing the message. And that's what they were doing. They were singing the message of the gospel. They were singing a message of love, loving each other, regardless of what your, your culture was, what your race was, what your background was. And this is what they were doing. He really changed, he changed music. The Beatles like, oh, happy day, how about that? Singer Dorothy Combs. They sent me a letter, George. He said he liked um, my oh, happy day so well, and I inspired him to do My Sweet Lord. My Sweet Lord. Now the door is open. You can you can sing about, you know, uh, Amazing Grace and all of those kind of good old songs, you know, that, that you hear in, in, in out of the hymn book, you know. And now they go into the hymn book and, and sprucing up some of those songs and just like Oh Happy Day was from the hymn book. Although Oh Happy Day has become a gospel standard, some church people don't believe the wider world has a place in the sanctuary. No matter... Gospel DJ and scholar Deborah Smith Pollard told us the world will always steal in somehow. And, you know, to point out to someone that um, a song that they love is built upon an R&B song or a, a rock song or a popular song from back in the day is to have people just sit there and stare you like that emoji with the big eyes. It's like, (laughs) that can't be true. Something about God's grace is built upon something in the way she moves by the Beatles. I don't want to leave her now. And to tell people that, they would just give you the look. If gospel music's purpose is to inspire people, change is part of the natural order. Blurring boundaries and breaking rules made this music a vital part of American culture. Uh 
A month after Woodstock in September 1969, Dorothy Combs performed the song at the Big Sur Festival in California with a few other singers. Joni Mitchell, Joan Baez, and uh, Crosby, Nash, Stills, and Young, and out by the ocean, and it was just wonderful singing Oh Happy Day to them. Oh Happy Day, Oh Happy Day, One more time. Oh Happy Day. Next time. As Dr. Martin Luther King said, walk together, children, don't you get with it. There's a great camp meeting in the promised land. And this promised land is right here in America. I was born here and ain't going here. Expect to die right here, too. This hour of Saturday night and Sunday morning, The Gospel Roots of Rock and Soul was written and produced by Alex Lewis. For more stories, visit our website at xpngospelroots.org. The Gospel Roots of Rock and Soul has been supported by the Pew Center for Arts and Heritage. The executive producers are Roger LeMay and Bruce Warren. Senior producer, Alex Lewis. Assistant producer, Whitney Jones. Editor, Cheryl Duvall. Mixing by Jeff Town. Our production assistant is Rachel Ishikawa. Archival audio courtesy of NPR's Fresh Air with Terry Gross, the Studs Turco Radio Archive, the Library of Congress, and Seattle Pacific University. Special thanks to Ann Powers, Robert Marovich, Jerry Zoltan, and Donald Dumpson. I'm Cece Winans. Thanks for listening. The Gospel Roots of Rock and Soul is presented in collaboration with NPR Music and is produced in Philadelphia by WXPN at the University of Pennsylvania.